Welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 72 of our show. We're still on the road to Infinity War, but we are nearing the end as we reach the films of 2017 with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 this week. But before we get into the discussion, I want to take a moment to thank a few folks. So thank you very, very, very much to Christian Fuentes, Dennis Byron Gonzalez, and Cole Voith. They are among... Our newest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Paul and I have been so grateful and really humbled by the tremendous re- the tremendous support we've received over on the Patreon page since we brought this podcast back in January with this Road to Infinity War series. So thank you to those three, and thank you to everybody who's been supporting us so far, and thank you to all of you who support us just by listening to this show. Now, if you are interested in joining our Patreon you can head over to patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. We offer all kinds of exclusive content, including our Patreon credit scenes, where we take each of these episodes that we're doing on this Road to Infinity War series, and we spend additional time, usually an extra 20 to 30 minutes, discussing a few things. We start by usually breaking down some of the latest news that might be out there that we didn't get a chance to discuss on the show while we're focused on the Road to Infinity War. So this week, we actually talked about that new Avengers Infinity War chant TV spot because it actually came out while we were recording our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 show. So you really get our instant reaction to that in this Patreon credit scene. Uh, And we also talked about some of the Avengers Infinity War box office tracking. But the other thing we do on these Patreon credit scenes is we take the film that we just discussed. So in this case, it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And we talk about the connective threads between that film and Avengers Infinity War slash Avengers 4. So for this week, we we talked a lot about Nebula and Gamora and, and their very personal connections, obviously, to Thanos. So that definitely factored into it. And the Patreon credit scenes are actually available for only a dollar a month if you sign up over at our Patreon, uh, over on our Patreon page. And we also have all kinds of exclusive content depending on the tiers that you choose. There's a weekly Q&A that I host where I answer all the questions that I get for the week. And then we do exclusive episodes, movie Q&As. There's all kinds of stuff that you could go for on the Patreon. So you could check that out at, again, patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And in addition to the Patreon, there's plenty of other ways to support the show, first and foremost by listening, and then also giving us a rating and a review on iTunes, if that's where you're getting the show. Uh, Also, make sure you're checking us out on social media, so head over to facebook.com slash News. Give us a like if you don't mind. Also, feel free to comment and share and click on articles, because those articles take you to marvelstudiosnews.com, which is our website, where I'm posting articles every day about the MCU. And then you can also find us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. So those are all the options, all the different places that you can find us for more on this show and everything that I write about Marvel Studios News, all that kind of stuff you can find uh, at those channels. And again, plenty of exclusive content available over on the Patreon. But thank you to everyone who's been supporting the Patreon. Thank you to everyone who continues to support this show just by listening. So I'll shut up now and let you get on with your show. Good morning, Paul. Well, good morning, Sean. Yeah, we're doing a Saturday AM recording session for this (laughs) Road to Infinity War podcast. I feel like more NPR type style of radio right now. Yeah, we're super calm. Hello. How how are you today? You just want to fall asleep listening to us? How are you? Oh, that's, that's wonderful. 
Tell- a giant crash in the Caribbean's with 500 people died. And uh, next, a dog pony show is uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep thinking, I know you don't really love the show, but I keep thinking of uh, Derry Merbles on Parks and Rec. He is a public radio host. He's played by Dan Castellaneta, who, of course, is the voice of Homer Simpson. And he just has that exact voice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm Derry Merbles. Welcome to, I can't remember the name of the show. But anyway, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. How, 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 wonderful, how wonderful. This is yes, how wonderful. This, this should be a, this is going to be a real treat, if I, if I may say so. It's going to be a treat. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 on this road to Infinity War. We've reached 2017 in the road to Infinity War. Paul, we're on the last three stops of this journey. I know some of you doing the math in your head would say, hey, isn't it four because of Black Panther? But just in case you're new, we already covered Black Panther earlier once it hit theaters. We skipped to film 18 once Black Panther hit theaters, so... Now we're at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and then we'll have Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok after this. So it's kind of funny, like, at least all of these movies that we've been talking to, even though Doctor Strange was just a year and a half ago, most of these movies, it's like, we're at least having to remember back a few years or more. But this one, it's like, yeah, yeah this was all, all this stuff, was, eh, this is last year. This is last year. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what, the build-ups, though, obviously started before that, mm, and... Yes. The build-up to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 began officially at Comic-Con 2014. A couple weeks before the first film even came out, I was in the audience there in Hall H, and it was a video with James Gunn and Chris Pratt announcing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and the first one hadn't even hit theaters yet. And of course, as we talked about in our Road to Infinity War uh, podcast for Guardians is that Guardians was obviously not a sure bet uh, for Marvel Studios in 2014. Now, when they announced it, I think Marvel felt really good about it because it had already screened for press. I had already seen it at that point, and so they knew that they were getting a lot of positive reactions. So at that point, I'm sure they felt comfortable announcing a sequel. But I don't remember if you had. I don't remember what exactly your thoughts were at the time when. We were. It's one thing for like to announce, like, yeah, we're, when we reboot Spider Man, we're going to make a second one after the first one, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> like some of these things are more sure bets, so you just know you're going to get a sequel. But how did you feel about even hearing Volume Two being announced weeks before you'd even seen Guardians and before it had even come out for anybody to see besides press? Well, I thought that it was going to be. I thought Guardians was was, was going to be good, and I felt Marvel was very. It felt like a confidence thing more than anything. That they they knew they had a, a blockbuster on their hands by the test screenings, but by the, what their own people were saying. I mean, at that point, Marvel, even with Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel kind of had knew, had kind of had an idea of what worked and what didn't work, and you know, and that's kind of again what Feige is kind of known for. He kind of know has a you know is a what's an insight on the pulse, if you will. Yeah, finger, I, finger on the pulse. Finger on the pulse. Okay, yeah, hand on the pulse. Finger on the pulse. Same difference. Um, but but no, it, it's it's one of those things where uh, I just I was I thought it was more of a confidence thing, and the fact that you know that they knew they were going to make probably at least a little bit on this movie, at least or the Guardians of the Galaxy, that is, and they knew that they could probably you know expand on that because again we go going back to. Captain America, the first Avenger, that movie wasn't a giant, 
huge smash success. It was, a, you know, it made a, a profit. It wasn't a humongous profit, no. but it made a profit. And they used that to expand and, you know, to basically, it's advertisement for the sequels, essentially, is what I kind of took it as. And that's what I think they're going to, they were going with Guardians of the Galaxy is is same thing like Captain America First Avenger. In their minds, it's prob- at least, is saying, okay, we're probably going to make out, you know, well with this, a little bit, at least. And then we can expand on this and use this to springboard to a sequel to hopefully, you know, get more people in the seats kind of, you know, because again, these characters are not household names. So I think that their whole, and again, maybe I'm totally off on this, but the impression that I got, and I totally think is that they, they knew these characters weren't household names. So they needed to put a movie out there, put the Marvel logo front and center and let people know this is Marvel certified, if you will. Uh, And then they could say, okay, now we can go expand on these characters, you know, probably because we, we know from what we're seeing that this is testing well and that we can, you know, let's start work on it now. Lock in James Gunn now, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think it was also just the classic Marvel confidence that they've had from the very beginning. Go back to Iron Man and Hulk. Taking, go back to, as we said, at the very start of this Road to Infinity War, taking out this loan, you know, getting this financing of $500 million to make two movies and you're putting all of the other characters you want to make movies about, the rights to all those characters go up as collateral. And then if you, you know, you consider that move, you go back to Avengers already being in production with Thor and Cap as major characters and their movies haven't come out yet. You have no idea how audiences are going to receive those. So, and and even now we see it today. Marvel probably had a good idea that people would like Black Panther, but until they had made the movie, you don't know if it's going to turn out as well. Uh, You just have to be confident that you're going to. Because what's following Black Panther, Infinity War, with huge marketing that emphasizes not just the character of Black Panther, but the entire world of Wakanda that was just introduced in a movie released this year. So Marvel makes these bets that they can't walk away from. (laughs) You know, like it's... They, yeah. you know, they really don't have a problem putting their chips on the table because they believe in themselves and they believe in their characters that it's all going to go the way that they would want it to, that it's going to connect with audiences. And they're right. They win these bets over and over again. And so, yeah, I, I think at that point, it was a huge vote of confidence. And, and, and as I said, I had already seen Guardians at that point when this announcement was made. So... I certainly wasn't surprised that they were going to go ahead and uh, I wasn't surprised at all that they were going to go ahead and make a, uh, make a sequel. I'm pretty sure I had already seen it. I'm pretty sure comic con was after my guardian screening. Maybe I have that wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I already had, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that was the first big step. Everything else, the, the, as we've talked about on this road to infinity where the, the buildup to sequels is a little bit different because there's not as much mystery as there is the first mm-hmm. time a movie's being made because with guardians, we already knew we already knew who the, the main ensemble would be because we had a core ensemble from the first guardians of the galaxy film. So the real questions were what additions would be made. Cause we knew that there were some characters that were in the Guardians, even, even in this team, the Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, Groot team, who were members of the team in the comics that didn't make it into the first film. And, and Mantis was certainly one of those characters that I figured would probably get to join the team in the second film. And of course, it, it turned out that way. But I think 
before, I don't remember when we heard about Mantis. The first big rumor that I remember for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was actually, uh, it was actually Matthew McConaughey being rumored mm. for a villain role, which I think was all the way like the next summer. Um, although yeah. actually I should say, I don't want to skip over it because I know some of you are probably remembering it and screaming at your, in your car or wherever you're listening to this. <laughs> Um, yes, James Gunn literally started work on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 the day Guardians came out on August 1st, 2014. Like, he shared that picture of him, like, starting up the, the treatment, you know, talking about starting the treatment for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So, yeah, he really was, uh, he was really going for it. And then, I, but, yeah, the next thing, big thing I remember was the Matthew McConaughey stuff. And that has turned out to be true. Um, because Matthew McConaughey has even talked about that in terms of something, you know, when he almost worked with Marvel and I'm pretty sure he was specific about Guardians too. And then for whatever reason, it just didn't end up being the right thing. He chose the dark tower. That's what he said. He did. Idiot. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At some point, point, I shouldn't call him an idiot, but you know, bad choice, bad choice. Um, it's, it's weird, but I wonder what his role was. Because when I heard Matthew McConaughey, I immediately thought Adam Warlock because Matthew McConaughey was my top choice for Adam Warlock. Now, he could have ended up being Ego because Ego, of course, turned out to be the villain of the film. And all of the rumors were that McConaughey was going to be the villain of the film. But James Gunn also has said in the, the year since, especially after Guardians 2 came out last year, he said that Adam Warlock was a character in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at one point, and then he just pulled him for time. And I'm not trying to say that James Gunn was lying, but maybe another part of the reason Adam Warlock got pulled is because maybe he wrote the role with initially with Matthew McConaughey in mind, and then... Matthew McConaughey dropped out, and so then it went there. So I, I'm not sure. Do you think Matthew McConaughey was was who James Gunn wanted for Ego, or do you think he wanted him for Warlock? Um, I think probably Ego. Just be, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, the movie, he wrote the movie for a while, and it felt like, and I felt I felt Matthew even said that. I thought he, he actually said that it was Ego. I could have I been wrong. I'll but to look it up. Hold on. I, I, Keep going. I'll try, all right, I'll get to the bottom I, of this. All right, all I know is that I always assumed anyway it was ego. I I don't remember. I do remember James talking about Adam Warlock being in the film at one point, but I know like did wasn't Nova in it as well? Wasn't didn't he have Nova in it? Or, or he was rumored at least. I know that, but um, but no, I don't remember Adam Warlock being that far in the process anyway i i don't remember hearing that i do remember that he, there was some talk of it but not like he was actually in, in an actual uh, script and then he he just took him out eventually um which is interesting yeah. but uh yeah I, I yeah i would i would assume that he that he would be uh ego because I don't know. It just seems like, you know, the fact that he chose the fact that he chose Dark Tower over that and they came out within like a couple months of each other feels like the scripts were probably pretty locked down at that point when uh, he had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And they so that's why I would assume that it probably is ego. Yeah, and I think it was. And there ended up being some unused concept art. I had actually forgotten about that. So I had an answer to that question. I just totally forgot it. So 
see, like it is hard to remember stuff that's a year old. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually harder to remember that than the stuff that's 10 years old. Um, what's funny about that though, is that they ended up on a, they ended up with a much better choice though for ego, the living planet. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think Matthew McConaughey would have been the right guy for that role. I don't think he would have been as good as Kurt Russell because Kurt Russell was so perfect for this because it had that meta quality to it. Because when I found out that Kurt Russell was going to play Ego and, and that Ego would be Star-Lord's dad, and we may be going out of sequence on the buildup here, but you know, the first thing was... I can't believe Ego, the living planet, is going to be in a movie. I should stop being amazed at the things Marvel Studios is willing to include in their movies, yeah. but that one amazed me. And then, but that that notion, because James Gunn didn't, said it's not going to be a mystery who Peter's dad is. His dad's Ego, the living planet. That's it. And with the casting of Kurt Russell, that was perfect. John Beerley actually called that years yeah, ago. Yeah, he did. Uh, that Kurt Russell was Star-Lord's dad. And uh, I think he called right when we were talking about uh, Guardian, the first Guardians movie, John Beer, our dear friend, John Beerley, he had yes. that one. And it, but it's true because if you made Guardians of the Galaxy in the 80s, Kurt Russell would have played Star-Lord. Like there's no, yep. there's no if, ands, or buts about it. That is who it would have been. And so that, and, and especially Peter Quill being an 80s kid, that, in addition to David Hasselhoff, the, Kurt Russell would have been like a hero to look up to. So that absolutely is an image that Ego would craft. Now they're not, they didn't acknowledge Kurt Russell as a person who exists in this, in this movie, obviously. But, you know, that type of, that type of look, that, you know, that type of hero is absolutely what Ego would construct for himself in order to try and, uh, you know, bond with Peter Quill. And so, it, it all just makes it, it all just made so much sense. Like that casting of Kurt Russell was definitely a kind of a whoa moment for me <laughs> because of course mm-hmm. I grew, I mean, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and Kurt Russell was one of the biggest stars and, and so much fun to watch. So seeing him come in and play the dad of Chris Pratt, Pratt Starlord was just perfect casting. And so I would say it worked sometimes that it works out better that way when you don't get your, you don't get your first choice, you still end up with the best choice because I can't imagine swapping out Kurt Russell for Matthew McConaughey in this movie and it being more effective. Well, yeah, they'd also have to age up McConaughey a little bit too, um, which isn't hard if you've seen True Detective. Well, um, he's a, technically he's eternal, so they don't have you know he's immortal. They don't. Have I to. I know, but 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 what? But with casting Kurt Russell, you did have to kind of de-age him a little bit in that opening sequence, which he looks ageless. I mean, he looks amazing uh, yes. <laughs> at the very beginning. So, but I don't I think, think I still don't think it's as good as Hank Pym in Ant Man. That's well, still my favorite de-aging, but it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. So with with ego, the ego thing was just kind of like, huh. And it was definitely an out there. It's definitely a James Gunn like decision, <laughs> you know. It's not because that's not from the comic books, and I'm not saying it should have been from the comics because he's his comic book character dad is like just a random king from a Jason you know, king of yeah, Spartax. It's it's uneventful and boring and and whatever. But with ego, it's just kind of huh. And and it, what's also interesting is that the fact they had to trade. I don't know how it worked, but the Negasonic Teenage Warhead character from Deadpool was yeah. a trade. But I don't understand how it's a trade for Ego because Ego is a Fantastic Four character. He's also a Thor character too. 
if I'm not mistaken, like he's also associated with Thor, so which I, I thought was weird. Yeah, and I think he didn't he actually debut with Thor first. Yeah, he, I, I believe he. I believe but you he know, but it could have been one of those things when they were negotiating the contract for that license at that time. They probably just were like, yeah, sure, we'll throw an ego the living planet. We're never going to use that, right? <laughs> because right. Well, th- those rights were negotiated pre Marvel Studios, obviously. So you know, Mar- Kevin Feige never would have given up those rights, but. Obviously, whoever being in charge at the time would have been like, yeah, sure. You want Ego the Living Planet? You'll never make a movie with that character anyway. So sure, take him. Well, so what I was wondering, and I'm trying to remember why exactly, and I think I have the answer. And I'll say I'll say what my, I think my answer is with Negasonic, Negasonic Teenage Warhead was that they changed the character and they had to get approval from Marvel to do it. There was something they had to do. There, they couldn't just use the character outright. Um for whatever reason, or do exactly what they wanted to do, or, or whatever. So it ended up being a trade, so that Fox could use Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Deadpool and do it the way that they did. Um, and then, yes, that you know, Fox went ahead and gave Marvel Ego the Living Planet in exchange, which is it's it's still weird to me that that happened because if you mm-hmm. follow that relationship between Fox and Marvel, it's historically not been great, and yeah. That's why you don't see X-Men toys when there are an X-Men movie is because, you know, Fox can't license toys, but if toys are licensed based on Fox movies, Fox gets a, a huge cut of that revenue as opposed to, like, Sp- that's why there's always been Spider-Man movie merchandise and X-Men, did, I think the last time I saw action figures for X-Men movies was maybe The Last Stand. I know they did them for the first X-Men movie. I can't remember about X2 and X-Men The Last Stand, but I think that was it. After that, there's really been no merchandise support for Fox X-Men films. and the, But Marvel's continued to support Spider-Man films even before the whole Marvel Studios thing with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. They've always done that. Uh, they've always done that with Spider-Man because they get a better cut of that merchandising, even when it's based on one of Sony's movies, they don't get that kind of cut with Fox. So that's, they just don't support it. And that, that among many other things has always been kind of a rift between Fox and Marvel. So I'm still amazed at this point that Fox and Marvel were cooperative enough with one another to get that done. I I mean that, that it's actually more, even though it's far less, it's not nearly as big a deal as the Sony and uh, as as the Spider-Man deal with Sony, I'm actually more surprised that this one happened. Yeah, so I think that with Ego, it was it was an interesting, really fascinating choice. And in the comic books, Ego's always a planet. I don't I don't remember him ever having like a he does know. he did. There's there is one time where I, there's at least one time where he takes a human form. Really? Mm-hmm. I've, yeah, I, I don't know. I've never. I've only and I granted I haven't read a ton of Ego comic books. And he but. is a he is a bearded dude. So <laughs> that's not, that's pretty funny. They're that's not completely. Yeah, he's not completely unlike the Kurt Russell version. So you, I I give James Gunn a little bit of credit for at least still being faithful to the source material, even if it, <laughs> even if it's a more obscure issue of it. It's right. Still, it, it's still there. Well, it's all. What well, do you remember if the character was purple or not? Because in the comic books, for people who don't know, Ego is a purple planet with a giant head, like with mouth. No, I think he looks like straight up. From what I remember, he looks straight up human. Interesting. So yeah, it's 
Ego was a very interesting take, and I and I was hoping to get the real ego at some point in this in this movie. But seeing Kurt Russell in his normal Kurt Russell garb or looks or anyway with a beard, it was it was interesting. I thought I didn't know if I believed it necessarily one hundred percent outright. Like I kept thinking like. Is he? Is this a ruse? Because you you can't really trust directors a lot of times. Mm-hmm. With James Gunn, though, it's obvious that we we can. He's been very honest and forthcoming with what with with, with the stuff. So, yeah, I don't know the 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 ego stuff was just a. It was a really it was a fascinating thing for me. It was fascinating, and I was but I was more curious how they're gonna how how they're gonna pull this off and how is it going to be like how is he the villain of the movie and how is it going to work because it is it's a big concept the fact that this totally. guy is a living planet and he's not just a, a dude he's a freaking planet and if he's that powerful then yeah so it, i just i was just more intrigued than anything yeah i was i was just happy enough with kurt russell being part of it and ego and then i was like well whatever they're going to do Fine. It's one of those characters where I thought they might take some liberties with this, but I understand it because otherwise this character may have never popped up. It, it just depends. Like it's, it's, it's a sliding scale for me, and it always has been in terms of what are things that you can change from the comics, and I don't mind versus what are things if you do change, it's going to bug me. And that's, but I think that's true for every fan that reads comics because you're just going to have some things that you care more about and that you're more personally attached to because it was you know, one of your favorite stories or one of your favorite characters. And then there's going to be things that you're not nearly as invested in, but maybe somebody else is. So a change is made that doesn't upset you, but upsets them. And I don't know how many diehard ego, the living planet fans there were out there. I mean, I'm sure there were some, there were some probably there were going to be some changes. And same thing with Jason of Spartax. Like there is no Jason of Spartax, uh, fan club. So like there's none, I can guarantee that. that. You know, I was thinking they would get like what's his name, Hugh Dan, the guy who plays uh, Tywin Lannister on Game of Thrones. Like when when they were first when we first watched Guardians, that idea of Peter's father, and I was like, well, if they're going to do Jason of Spartex, it should be maybe that actor. But then James Gunn was very. It, it didn't take long for James Gunn to say, yeah, Peter's dad is not going to. Long before we knew about ego. Or anything else. Before we knew who Peter's dad was, we knew who Peter's dad wasn't, and we knew it wasn't going to be Jason of Spartax. And I was okay with that because it's not, it's honestly not the most interesting thing. And it's certainly one of those things that you could expand on and do something way cooler with. And I think James Gunn succeeded in that. And then the other big addition on this was Pom Clementiev as Mantis. And I re- and uh, I, I didn't know much about Palm Clementiev at the time. Obviously, that casting I think worked out very well in the film. But oh yeah, uh, but Mantis was one of my favorite characters in that original Guardians run, and she was actually one that I was kind of surprised didn't make the cut for the first film. And I, I think she was close. I think James Gunn had said she really just missed it in the first movie because having to introduce all those characters at once it was just too many to include her at the time. But she was instrumental in the formation of that Guardians team, and they're faithful to that. And when they kind of when they mention her power, when she goes over her powers, her abilities, and she even says how she's able to change people's minds when they're stubborn. Uh, Star Lord actually used her to influence the other Guardians to make them more willing to become a team together. Like that's how they got together in the comics was actually Mantis manipulating them at the request of. Peter Quill. 
So I like that there was at least a nod to that when we saw the film. But the big things that I remember about the the other big things that I remember about the, the build up though is you and I going back and forth, pun intended, about <laughs> the the marketing for this movie because the marketing for this film really began in earnest in October 2016. There was there was the mixtape slash album cover uh, one Ugh. sheet, the black and white yeah. one, which I like. I know you're not a fan, but I like it. But there was also that first before there was a real. That's trailer, right. Yeah, there was a teaser. Although, actually, you know what? Hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Two more things I got to mention that were before this. Um, I saw. I remember another part of the buildup was I was at that. I've talked about this event before. It was a Blu-ray release event for Avengers: Age of Ultron in 2000 in September of 2015, and Kevin Feige wasn't going to say much about Guardians 2, obviously because it was still months away from production. But he just when somebody brought it up, he just said, "Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, like that that one's shaping up nicely," and he just had like this little smile of just being super confident about how it was going in there and it wasn't like a it was a real genuine thing it wasn't just i'm the president of the studio so i have to tell you everything is amazing and then uh, i forgot to mention at comic con 2016 was when i saw the first footage from volume two this was before there were any teasers or any trailers they showed us the sequence with uh groot having to go get the prototype finn which was hilarious, and everybody was dying laughing. And then, of course, that whole sequence, once Yondu gets the fin of the arrow going through and, and killing all the Ravagers. And, of course, at, at that show, or at that same panel, Michael Rooker had come out in full makeup with the fin as Yondu, and all the Ravagers came out in costume, including the guy that nobody knew was about to become one of the biggest TV stars in the world, Chris Sullivan, as Taserface, because This Is Us had not premiered yet. So you had... But it was, it was a really great showing for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at Comic-Con. And, and, and I was I loved the footage. I was blown away by it. And so I already knew what was coming before we got that first teaser. But once we got that first teaser, uh, that didn't show very much of what I knew from was going to be cool about the movie from Comic-Con. But I remember you and I having a, a debate about it on this show because I liked the teaser for what it was as just a teaser. But I remember you not loving all the shots of people's backs. Yeah, I, I I almost forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. The back shots were, it was weird. This is a really weird teaser. I remember I'd being probably one of the weirder, not not great teasers for me, in my opinion. Mm. I even even now of all those superhero films and Star Wars films and whatever films, and that one just was weird. And I just that might that may have been an omen to me a little bit about this movie. I don't know. I don't know. Well, then there was another trailer not long after it in, I think, December. And I believe that's the one that had the the you must be so embarrassed moment with Drax yes. and Star-Lord. And that was, that's one of the funniest moments in any trailer. Like, I was dying yeah. laughing the first time I saw mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, do me, do me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was amazing. So that one, if, I, I think most people who maybe didn't love that first teaser started to get on board in December, but I still remember even after that trailer, I still don't think you were feeling quite so hot about the movie. I think there was, you still had some reservations. I, I remember this being a recurring theme in our conversations around the time was you being increasingly worried about the movie being more James Gunn than Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I vaguely, 
I, I know I wasn't as excited. This is how much it. I treasure our conversations. Is I, remember I know everything you say. It's almost as if I record it. <laughs> yeah, it, this movie was just a, a weird. I, I wasn't. It just there's the, some of the stuff I was seeing just wasn't getting me as excited as I wanted to for this movie. And I don't remember. I remember that first teaser wasn't did not sell me at all. I kept hoping for something else to come out. It didn't. The trailer came out, and I thought it was okay. I, I definitely liked the, uh, some of the, some of the stuff I was seeing, but I just didn't know where it was going. And then that. And with as as being the big comic book fan as I am, that's both exciting and frightening to me a little bit because I, I kind of know where things should go to an extent. Mm-hmm. And it was just I just didn't know what to think of it. And I knew Guardians, the first movie, just looked like a ton of fun and I couldn't wait to see it. And I was just getting super, super amped because I love those characters from the, you know, the comic book series. Now, with this, it it definitely felt like James Gunn was taking control more of it than, than in the going back to the you know Marvel control. If that makes any sense, I could mm-hmm. kind of see, I could see the tea leaves, if you will, a little bit on these trailers. And I don't, I didn't know if that was good or bad. It just was impossible, obviously, to tell until I saw the movie. But it was, it definitely was a movie that I was looking forward to seeing it because it's a Marvel film, and I love these movies, and I love the characters and the comics. But it wasn't one, it wasn't one that I was like. Oh man, oh, you know, but you gotta remember too, I was just coming off of Dr. Strange, which Dr. Strange did not do anything for me. As you guys listened to the last episode, I did not like that movie. Really? I think it's just, okay. It has decent moments, but you know, I'm coming off of that and I wonder, I'm, and I think, you know, now, now that I'm thinking about it and we're talking about the, the past, I'm thinking that definitely hurt guardians a little bit for me because Dr. Strange kind of left me in a, eh, you know, m- mood. So I'm going into guardians and I'm seeing all this material and there's some stuff that looks good. There's some stuff that I'm just kind of eh about. So I think looking back, I think I definitely kind of paved the way a little bit for this movie. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I remember Dr. Strange putting you in a bit of a funk and it was an interesting time because these were the first movies like Doctor Strange and, you know, Phase 3 really was the beginning of the new era of Marvel where the, the Marvel Studios was on its own, no longer part of Marvel Entertainment and in terms of who reported to whom. And the Marvel Creative Committee was no longer part of the films, which James Gunn has gone on to say he really appreciated in Volume 2. And and I think you were you were right in that this was definitely going to be more of a James Gunn movie. And I, but I think you it should be that it's it's a, it's always a balance. But I think especially after a director is so successful like that first Guardians film is, they've earned the right to have a longer leash, so to speak, and, and more just more room to do what they want to do. There should be a certain amount of trust that they've earned that, you know, that they get, that is used and considered as they go on and make another movie. And so I, I absolutely think that is something that, you know, that should happen, but then it's the case of, well, are we going to like it? And, and is it going to be any good? So the principle of a filmmaker with a sequel to a successful film, having more freedom I completely 100% agree with that on principle, but then it comes down to the execution and how we ultimately feel about it. I remember, obviously, there was another Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer before the film came out. 
Um, I don't totally, oh yeah, no, I remember that trailer. So it was one of the first trailer reactions I did when I was started hosting Superhero News with my pal Mark Hughes, and we really liked it and thought it was fun. I, my favorite trailer, though, is still that second one from December with the whole you must be so embarrassed moment. That's one of my all-time favorite Marvel trailers anyway. So I I remember being excited about that, and there had been other mark, digital marketing and stuff, and, and I was excited about Volume 2. Um, I think this might end up being, as we look at first viewings for the film, I think this might be the earliest I've ever seen a Marvel movie. Hmm. Because normally, for a long time, I, when I would go to Marvel Junkets, it was, it was almost always three weeks. Sometimes it might be two or two and a half. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the junket was four weeks before the movie came out. And the reason for that was because the week that would have been that the, the three weeks before release, which is usually more typical for Marvel, uh, was uh, CinemaCon, which is the big convention in Vegas every year where it's for movie exhibitors, so it's for the theater chains, but obviously the studios go, and, you know, and, and the press go as well, and cover it. So I think because of, you know, because obviously Disney would have their publicity staff in Vegas the next week, and, and most of the people who they would invite to the junket would be in Vegas the next week, they held it a week early. And so I saw it on the Disney lot. I brought my wife, and I remember watching it the first time and I really loved it the first time it but I also remember having a conversation with my wife and, and some friends and I remember uh it was with uh my co-host Sabina Graves and for Superhero News and her husband Jonathan we were talking or actually I don't I think no I think he was there but we were talking about the movie and I remember we were talking about um I remember we were kind of comparing notes in terms of how we felt it, how how we felt it performed compared to the the first movie, and so I remember with my my first impression of it being that I really really loved it, but I didn't know, I didn't know as a sequel if it had topped the first one, which at the time was my favorite Marvel film, not necessarily the best Marvel movie, but my favorite Marvel movie, and certainly the most, the one that, I, as I talked about in our Guardians episode, the one that I was most uh, emotionally connected to. And so I wasn't sure how I felt. I don't remember, but I know you, for you, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't as confusing. You were a little more clear on how you felt after first seeing it. Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I, for people who remember the last uh, Guardians movie, my wife loved that movie. And we were both looking forward to seeing it, even though I had reservations about it. She doesn't give a crap about all the stuff that I care about. So I was very, you know, I was, I was very excited to go out and have a little date night with my wife and go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, IMAX 3D. And it was a packed theater, as you would expect on opening night. And we watched it. And when we both left, it, we just kind of felt the same. We felt that it just, it was not paled in comparison, but it was just not it wasn't nearly as good as the last movie. And I know that's kind of an unfair thing to say, but there was a lot of things that has kind of bugged me. It felt longer. It felt like longer, not in a good way. There was a lot more drawn out sequences. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things, and I, I guess my looking back, you know, thinking that it's, it seemed like a more of a James Gunn, like straight up movie. A lot of those things were right. And I kind of feel that those just didn't sit as as well with me as the first movie. 
And I, th- one of the biggest things I felt was I felt like the humor was way, it was way too much. Like it, it felt like every time James wanted to throw a little gag in, he would do it. And it mm. just didn't always land. And I know it didn't land with me, it didn't land with my wife. And we just, I don't know, this, the story was, wasn't as compelling to me. Uh, I liked Kurt Russell's ego, but it just, everything just kind of felt just not, it just didn't feel as good and as, as fresh and as, as, you know, as, yeah, I think fresh is the, is the right term. And I feel like he, he kind of doubled down on his, on his humor. And that to me stuck out really a lot because it just, it just seemed so just out of place at times. So yeah, this movie just, I just, I left and I just kind of felt eh about it. And it, I, I was, I felt bad. I, I want you to know I felt bad for, for thinking that because as a, as a, you know, growing up a Marvel zombie and loving these Marvel films, it's almost like I have an obligation to like them. Right. And with Dr. Strange, you, you know, you're not going to like everything, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, that there's, there's going to, you know, when you're making, well, yeah, it's totally different when it's back to back. Cause then, then it starts feeling like a trend of you not liking the movies. Yeah. And that's exactly what it felt like. I started thinking to myself, Oh no, do have I, have I, you know, do I not like these movies anymore? I legitimately thought that as I walked out, because I'm like, I must be, I thought for a second, I must be like maybe moving on from Marvel films and Marvel characters because the last two movies have done nothing for me. And not to say I didn't, I didn't like the movie. I just didn't love the movie. It's, I thought it was, I just thought it was okay. Mm. There's certain things I loved about it. Certainly. But they weren't enough to make me go, yes, I have to watch this again, because I didn't. And this movie just kind of I can't it's it's hard it's hard to explain how, but it was it was a very awkward feeling just thinking like, man, maybe I must be moving on because everyone I'm seeing online, or not everyone, I, I'll take that back. Because I felt like, man, everyone online is gonna love this movie and I'm not. Yeah. And and then I got online, and it was very mixed. More mixed than I was expecting, to be quite honest. I think the consensus is it's not so much that people think the movie is bad. There are some people yeah. who do, but it's still it's still a very well-reviewed movie. Not as well-reviewed as the first one, but it's still it's still vast majority of critics gave it a positive review, and and I think a lot of fans still like the movie. But I think the con- the general consensus, though, that I've seen is that it's not as good as the first one. And that was kind of the thing that I, I've noticed though, is that, and because I noticed it in myself, is that I, I really shouldn't go into this movie because I did what I, I had broken a rule, you know, because I had, ever since The Dark Knight Rises, I had done a pretty good job of, you know, mentally kind of resetting myself before I watch a movie and being like, you know, I can't filter this through my expectations based on the previous movie. I really have to w- try and watch this for what it is and then figure out and then wait till later to figure out how it compares to any other films in the MCU or within a specific franchise. And, and I didn't do a great job of that when the first time I watched Volume 2. Even, so even though I still really liked the movie, and I think what was jarring to me at first, and actually, and it still kind of is, uh, just to a, a lesser extent, it's the first act in Volume 2. I think that's where the problems are in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That is where the jokes are just nonstop, and that is where they don't land. I think this movie really gets going for me, like when it when it really started drawing me in in my first viewing, and what I've come to appreciate 
more and more uh, with every viewing since is that once they once the Guardians kind of break up uh, when Star Lord, Gamora, and Drax go off with Ego and Mantis, and Rocket, Baby Groot, and Nebula stay behind uh, on Bearheart while Rocket fixes the ship. That's where I think it gets going. It's that last scene between Rocket and Peter Quill where he's just, you know, where Peter Quill's just calling him out for basically pushing everybody away and saying it's working. And, and I think that's where you get into what the heart and soul of this movie is. That's where it really kicks in. Everything up until, everything up until that point is a bit chaotic. And there's funny and cool stuff in it, like the, not the prologue opening with young Kurt Russell and, and Meredith Quill. Like that, that part's fine, but the, I mean, the opening with, the opening titles with Baby Groot, I love that sequence. I think that's awesome. And watching the Guardians fight the alien monster obelisk, like that's all cool stuff, and I love that. But when they're... When they, especially when they get into that chase sequence uh, with the Sovereign and, and everything. It's just the jokes just keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's not that they're all bad. Some of them are funny and make me laugh, but some of them don't. And I, some of those I think they probably could have done without. And it, it's, I think part of the reason it's so jarring, though, is, again, going back to comparisons, the first act in of the first Guardians movie is airtight. Like... Mm-hmm. And James Gunn talked about how much they worked on that because of how how difficult it was to introduce all of these characters to an audience and keep the plot moving forward. And you know, doing all there, there's just so many things to juggle in just up in the air for that in that first act of the first Guardians, and they nailed it. I don't think they nailed the first act of this movie, mm-hmm. and so it is a little bit, you know. It, but I also I do think that this movie has a better third act. You know, I think their second acts are basically comparable. I think this one has a better volume two has the edge in the third act because of what it does. And I know one of the big comparisons to between volume two and the first Guardians. The first Guardians is a more plot driven movie. You have your mm. MacGuffin with the orb and it's all about getting the orb and, and selling it, but then getting it away from Ronan protect, you know, and, and therefore Thanos and protecting the galaxy and guardians of the galaxy volume two is really more of a character driven film. It's kind of like, I actually compared it a lot to Logan last year. I'm like, this is funny. Cosmic Logan is guardians of the galaxy volume two. Cause both of those <laughs> movies, both of them have very, very simple plots. There's not much to the actual, like, a to B to C of the story in those movies. It's really more about setting up scenes so that characters can have conversations to give you more insight into who they are. And I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 does a perfect job of that because it really it puts characters up against mirror reflections of themselves. Like that pairing of Rocket and Yondu is essential to the is is so well done in this movie peter quill uh, with his dad uh you know with ego and and especially there it's not it shouldn't be lost on anybody that not only is ego a a character name from marvel comics but that's the perfect name of a character to kind of confront and challenge peter quill in this movie and the drax and mantis stuff like the way i look at this movie is and i was saying this before we started recording and, and why i appreciate volume two so much I think it is maybe the purest form of artistic of artistic expression 
that we have seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That doesn't mean people have to like it. <laughs> so it's a completely different thing. But I, I look at this film as the ultimate argument against those who would say that the MCU and, and Marvel Studios, that they're not filmmaker-driven. Because this is pure James Gunn. You may, not, you may not like it, but that's what it is. And this movie is so introspective. And I think in a really... Uh, in a really beautiful and profound way. And the what sums it all up for me is the scene between Drax and Mantis where it's played as a joke, but there's it is the truth of the movie, which is Drax says to her like it's it's good that, it's good to be ugly because beautiful people, you know, if somebody if you're ugly and people love you, you know they love you for who you are. You, you know, beautiful people never know where they stand. Well, all of these people in this movie, all of these characters in this movie are ugly. They're showing you the ugliness actually on the inside. And it means that much more when they are still together and still love each other, when they show how ugly they are and that they still, become, they still end up being a family at the end of it because it shows that even despite all of the ugliness, there is acceptance. And because even all the stuff with Rocket... Everything Rocket's doing, it's preemptive rejection. He get, he, you know, he does. He steals batteries he doesn't need. He pushes characters away. He, you know, like he doesn't want to bond with anybody. And that's why it's so key that this movie happens only a few months after the first film. Is that there? You this idea of them becoming a family. Well, becoming a family is easier than staying a family, especially for characters not used to having family. And so Rocket pushing everybody away before they have the chance to reject him. All of that stuff makes sense, and that's all stuff that if you follow James Gunn on social media, you know how much, it, even before this movie, just the stories that he would share, all of this makes sense. His relationship with his father compared to not just between Peter and Ego, but between Peter and, and what is essentially his real father, his daddy in Yandu, all of that stuff is just James Gunn bearing his soul and you can see in, in everything about it, he's just being so completely honest about what his experience has been. He's using these characters to tell that story, and he's hoping that people will find a way to relate to that, because there is something very universal about the experiences and the emotions of these characters. And that's why I think, so, you know, I, and obviously I, I was able to connect with it, and I think a lot of people were, but it is a different kind of film. You know, and it's not, uh, and, and certainly it's not necessarily what people would have been expecting uh, after watching the first one. I think you made a great point about all that, Sean. And I also think that the fact that they, that I feel like the first film was tighter, a tighter story. And I go, I know it was more plot driven. And that's a great point of why I think it was tighter. And this was a lot more loose. You had a, the, char- the characters were all separated for a, you know, a long period of time. And the, the, the themes of the film are good. I, I don't want to detract that at all. But one of the thing, I think one of the problems though, was that you had that theme going on, but you had so many other side stories also going on. For me, it just was hard to get invested into the story when it was just kind of jumping all over the place. And I feel that's kind of the problem with this movie is that because he separates things and he wants to add, you know, so many different characters and, and different ideas and like taser face, taser face is a fun, entertaining, <clears throat> you know, thing for the movie, but it also kind of just drags on for a long period of time. 
and it's hard. So when you want to get invested into like the main story, which is the most interesting story aspect is definitely star Lord <coughs> and ego. Right. But the problem is, is that it just jumps back to the taser face and then rocket and Yondu. And it just kind of, it's hard. It was hard for me to really get invested with everybody. You know, I did like the, the Gamora and Nebula stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to finally get that and see them kind of interact. I love, see, I love that stuff. But I just kind of, one of the things I loved about that first film was that they were all together and they were all, you know, they were just a team and they could, you could feel the, the chemistry off all of them. Whereas now you're adding all these different aspects like Craglin. Like I know that's his brother, you know, Sean Gunn. Mm-hmm. And I know, but that was one of my issues. It's like, why is this guy getting like a prominent, like not a prominent role, but it felt like a prominent role at the time. Like they made a big deal of Kraglin. Like he gets Yondu's fin at the end. I'm like, no, that's stupid. Like that's not, that's not the point. Of, like that's not these characters. It felt again. It felt like James Gunn having way too much freedom to be like, well, they wanted to have Kraglin be in this part of this new story. And no, like Kraglin's not an important part. And you, and he's trying to make him an important part. And it just felt like pandering to himself. And I'm being harsh, but I'm just being real. Like, and it just felt like, why do I, why does this, why do I care about Craglin thinks, you know, I, I just, again, it just felt like so, so much dragging to when we finally did get ego and star Lord. I'm just like, I was just kind of done at that point. And I do feel like the movie, like, I think you brought up a great point. The first act is very, just kind of chaotic. And the, I like, I don't mind chaos necessarily, but what happened was it was chaotic and then it's got really dr- like draw drawn out completely. And then the third act goes back to kind of being a more, a little more c- tight, compressed and a little more fun. But at that point I just was kind of spent and, uh, I don't know. It's with, with, with ego and everything. It, I loved it. But with all you know, the getting Yondu and everyone over to get Ego and to get the payoff of Yondu's character of being you know his real the real dad. He may not be his blood dad, but the real dad, which I like that idea a lot. Mm-hmm. It just it just was too it just was too long to get there, and I just you know I wish I do feel that Marvel probably could have put the brakes on a couple of things that James wanted to do in this movie, and to be honest, I kind of feel. That's what probably needed to happen to you know you know and looking back too, it's funny we never did a, a an actual uh, review of this proper review from the Marvel show because you were pretty busy at the time, mm-hmm. and but you know I remember just I, I it's just funny looking back because you know I was a, I've been I've been able to go back and watch this movie on on Blu-ray and things like that. Um, but you know because I I never saw this movie again after the when it came out in the theater. And I remember you, you had told me, I think you, I think we had texted a little bit about it <clears throat> mm-hmm. and you think you told me, you should go see it again. And I'm like, you know, I'll be honest. I just, I just don't, don't really want to. And I didn't. And I remember I, I asked for the movie for Christmas. Um, and then I, I got it and I got it on 4k cause I wanted to get an eventual 4k player to watch it and everything. Cause that's, I need, I want to upgrade. I never watched it until after my birthday when I got my 4k TV and, and player and I finally watched it again, and I liked it a little bit more. Um, I, I, I like it looked beautiful in 4K. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything it flowed a little bit better, but to me, the main problems were still there. It just felt like just too much. It was too long. It could have been condensed better, and the jokes were way too over the top. And one thing, I'm curious what you think, and this is going to be controversial, maybe, 
Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just I'm nitpicking, so bear with me, audience and Sean. But <laughs> did you think the volume two music was a little too on point? Because I felt the songs that he chose were way more predictable. And I and I just was like, okay. Like ELO's Mr. Blue Sky, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. And then the chain with uh Fleetwood Mac, I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, okay, okay, I get it. It just, you know. It just felt very – it just felt – I love the songs he chose in the first one. It felt all over the place, and it felt like the songs were just they – were, they were, I just felt like they were a little bit better like chosen. I don't know how, that, how to explain that, but that's the way, the way I felt. I felt the music just wasn't as – wasn't as – he didn't go on our stretch a little bit. Like he kind of went, oh, yeah, this is a giant song in the 70s. I'll put that on there, and – Here's another giant song from this time period, and no, you know, I, I disagree with you completely. I okay, think, I figure you would. I, I think would. Awesome Mix Volume Two is a much better. No, no I'm, let me just say this: I'm not comparing the songs, okay, but in terms of their connection to what's actually happening in the film, he made the song "Brandy" an integral part of the plot of the movie in a way that completely makes sense. So I can't. And everything about those songs, thematically, they they work. You know, Fleetwood Mac's The Chain, like, that is about the family breaking up and then, you know, the threat of a family breaking up and staying together. And and uh, Brandy, like, that is Peter Quill. That's that's ego uh, within the movie. And that also is James Gunn because he's talked about those kinds of stories as well, that, you know, my life, uh, my love, my lady is the sea. Well, for James Gunn, that's filmmaking. Like, he's talked about how, his, uh, you know, his choice to dedicate so much of himself to his to filmmaking has cost him in terms of personal relationships. I know he's in a relationship now and he's very happy and whatever, but like those are things that that have been part of his struggle. So I think there's an honesty and there's, uh, you know, the the music ties way more into the actual themes of the film this time as opposed to the first one, which is not to say they don't in the first one. They're not random needle drops in the first one, but the first one feels a little bit more like these are Peter Quill's mom's favorite songs that they would listen to together. And the second one has that feeling, but it also is the the actual song selections. Um, not necess- Maybe not in every case, but in a lot of those cases, you see that it's, it's connected, to, uh, connected to what's happening. Even Mr. Blue Sky... Like, it's a very hopeful, you know, chipper song, but it also kind of has this, you know, this little sequence in the lyrics at the end, you know, Mr. Knight is creeping over, now his hand is on your shoulder, like it hints at trouble coming. And that's what happens in the movie, is that even though everything seems Mm -hmm. happy right now and the Guardians are on an adventure and saving the day, or at least getting paid for saving some batteries, there's, you know, there's trouble on the horizon for them. So thematically, I think it all works. And and that's the other, and some of the stuff that you don't like about the movie, I get why you don't like it, but it's it's also stuff I like about the movie. I mm-hmm. like that the characters got paired off. You know, I think the I think the rocket uh, Yondu pairing is every bit as essential as vital to this film as Peter Quill and Star Lord because it's not because this has to be about all of the Guardians confronting you know, what's, you know, confronting things about themselves. The only one who doesn't really have to confront anything about himself is Drax. So, but he still gets, but it's, but he's there to, it's kind of more of Mantis's arc with, as it relates to Drax. Um, But also Drax kind of finding, I don't know, finding that, 
you see Drax kind of rediscovering his sense of fatherhood, though, a bit. It's like through Mantis and even through Baby Groot, like finally at the end. <laughs> but like the Rocket and Yondu stuff, I think is amazing. I and and I like the Kraglin stuff because the way you the way like that what that relationship is, it's Kraglin and Peter Quill are brothers. Like they both grew up with Yondu, and that's where you what Kraglin is going through is like, well, Peter Quill was Yondu's favorite son. That's why Kraglin. Uh, you know, that's why when they're on Bearheart, that's why Kraglin, you know, sort of betrays Yondu, or at least, I mean, he doesn't mean to cause a mutiny, but that's why he speaks out against him. It's like, you've always favored this kid over me. You've always been soft on him and not on anybody else. So I think you, you know, I, I think all of that works. Like, and when Sean Gunn finally has that moment uh, for Yondu's funeral, I love that moment. And that moment wouldn't mean as much to me if Kraglin didn't get more focus uh, within the film. And then Gamora and Nebula, because this really does break down all the different family, you know, or many of the different family roles. And then you look at sisters, which, you know, that my wife in particular connects with the Gamora Nebula stuff because she has a sister. And which is not to say you have to have a sister to connect with that stuff, but you can, there are just different avenues in which people can, I feel like this movie gives you an opportunity to relate. And the Nebula Gamora stuff is just perfect. And, you know, when Nebula has that line of, you always wanted to win, I just wanted a sister. And Gamora kind of realizes it, you know, and, and the realization that Gamora comes to of, oh shit, like I just thought that all we were trying to do was kill each other to survive our lives as children of Thanos. Like there was this whole other thing going on and we didn't, you know, we were isolating ourselves from each other when we could have been actually working together to help to help each other cope and survive with our horrible circumstances all of these different things are in play within this movie and and i like that the the plot of this film even though it's not again a super intricate or complex plot it's more of a device to force these characters to really look within themselves and analyze themselves and who they are what you know what they're confront the ugliness that's inside of them and understand why that's there and to try and grow from that and become better people and better members of, uh, better members of, of this family. Like it's Gamora being confronted with her history with Nebula, I think is what makes her come around to the unspoken thing that she has with Peter Quill. And, you know, that she finally acknowledges at the end of the film, the whole Sam and Diane cheers thing is that, you know, she was she denied the what it meant to be a sibling to Nebula because she just didn't she really just canceled out the emotion of that relationship. But she's opening herself up to her emotions now at the end of the film, and that's why she's finally acknowledging this thing that she has with Star Lord, which we can tell has been there because of the chemistry that Zoe Saldana and Pratt have and they, that they've had since the first film. But for Gamora to finally accept that is is a different thing and you see so you so you see growth from these characters and and i think chris pratt does a hell of a job with his acting in this movie especially as we get towards the end you know his performance when yondu dies is amazing uh his uh you know his david hasselhoff speech even though it's this silly thing it's very emotional as they're looking over yondu's body before the you know at the very beginning of that funeral i think all of these things are working so beautifully in this film i think it's a and that's why I can forgive a lot of the, you know, I can forgive some of the jokes that don't land in the first act. And I can forgive how it's a little jarring and, and chaotic. And maybe that's intentional. It's because it has to be this family spiraling so that they, 
you know, that they temporarily break up and have to go their separate ways. But I, I love pairing these characters the way that they did because I don't think these conversations that I love so much in the film, they have to happen one-on-one. -on -one. They can't happen, you know, they can't happen amongst five people. You're going to get more, you're going to get deeper, more introspective and on emotionally honest conversations one-on-one -on -one than you're going to have within uh, a huge group, especially a huge group that where you know that a lot of these characters are just going to make fun of you as soon as you open your mouth. You know, the, the way this is constructed, I actually think works really, really well. So, and, and that's the more I watch the movie, the more I appreciate that and the less I really care about how jarring the, uh, about how some of the, some of my first act issues. And because when I watched the movie a second time, I got to watch it a few days later after the junket. I got to watch it at the premiere, and then I watched it again on opening night. The more I watch this movie, the more I love it. It just keeps going up and up and up for me to the point where I actually do think I like this one better than the first one. It's still a tough call for me because I love wow. I love the first one. I've got them, like, depending on the day is where, you know, I still go back and forth. So mm -hmm. I, I just say they're as close as they could possibly be because it's, it's to the point where I can't consistently and confidently choose <laughs> between the two. And that's about as high a compliment as I could really give Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy Volume 2 because I love the first film too much to probably ever clearly say, oh, this, there's, there's definitely one that's better. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a, I think that's a, great, a, great way, a great way to put it, Sean, because you know, I, don't, I don't think this movie is bad. I, I don't I just I just don't think it's a very rewatchable movie for me where if I want to watch a rewatch a Marvel film, this movie is probably one of the last ones I'll I'll watch. I don't think it's I think it looks great. I think it has some great moments in it. But I mean, I, let's put it this way. I'll put it above Doctor Strange any day of the week. I'll watch this all day, all night over that movie. Um, but at the same time. This movie is not one I, I have to. I feel like I, I want to rewatch the first one. I love rewatching that movie because again, it's a tight, fun, you know, film. And I don't know the the things in this movie are just it just doesn't hit me as much as the first one. Mm -hmm. And I think and I, I think the emotional connections we make to these films are important. And I think that relating to these things make them rewatch the rewatchable the rewatchable uh, likelihood so much easier. It's it's not just a you know it could be fun it's short those things matter to me too when I want to rewatch something I'll just be honest it does because if it's something long I have to know it's an investment of time right so but with, uh, with something you you're emotionally connected with and it's long it gives you more reason to rewatch it for me I just don't have that emotional connection to this film and it's and I love and I love it when everyone can have those emotional connections and they and they relate to it and it adds so much to their you know their viewing pleasure and things like that and this movie is definitely more a more emotional film than the first one the first one had emotional moments and had a good message but this one has a way more deeper themes or way deeper themes excuse me better English so <laughs> and, and I think and I think that's and, that, and that's important and I think and I love the fact that it's a personal story that James Gunn wanted to say. Like I said, it's just not a story that I connected with or loved right off the bat. So the rewatchable fact, the rewatchable likelihood of this movie 
it's just not there for me. I don't think it's bad. I don't want to make that very clear. And there are some things I love about this movie. I love the the original Guardians with Sylvester Stallone and uh, and what's his name, Lex Luthor from Smallville, who plays Martin X, Starhawk mm-hmm. and Martin X and Charlie Twenty Seven. Um, you know, with Yondu, I love that stuff because those those are the original Guardians comics that I grew up reading, and. I love I I still love those characters. I'm almost I'm a little disappointed they haven't made more of an appearance in these films. And I hope in volume three, they're they're actually a major part of the of the story because those characters. I'll be honest, the little you saw of them, I wanted more of them. I love Martin X's look. I've always mm-hmm. liked Martin though but yeah i love all those characters i love i love sylvester stallone as star starhawk which is super hilarious to me um so that stuff was cool i love how he incorporated the old guardians into it so like i said there's some cool stuff i again some of the things in the third act was a little wonky for me Mm -hmm. like the whole the pac-man thing was a little a little much uh i don't know there it just wasn't like i said it's hard for me to talk bad about this movie because i know like when you talk about it, you make me go, yeah, I should like this movie more as I'm rewatching <laughs> it right now. I go, mm, don't like that. I still don't like that. Yeah. And no. Yeah, so it's just funny how people connect to different things, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I do, like I said, I don't think this movie is bad by any means. I just didn't connect to it. I'm hoping volume three is an amalgam of both the first and the second film. Cause there is good things in the second film that he builds on. I would love for him to, to make a little bit tighter film, a little bit less of a, let's make it a little bit shorter. Let's get it condensed a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Let's keep the guardians together and give me like, give me Adam Warlock or give me some Nova stuff too. I really want to see Nova in that next movie. Like not just a Nova, the Nova core. I want to see Nova, like the real Nova from the comic books, Richard Ryder or Sam is Mendez. Is that his name? Um, uh, what's Sam Alexander, Alexander, Sam Alexander. Uh, yeah, I I would love to see the Nova character show up, like the real superhero Nova. So I'm hoping James Gunn will give me uh, some of that. And I, he's given me deep cuts from the Marvel Universe so far, and I love the fact he's gone with you know Ronan and uh, Ego. I'm I'm very curious who he goes with Volume Three. Now that Thanos is potentially going to be off the, off the map at that point, so. It's it, uh, he's proven, especially with now with the cosmic universe going to be owned by Disney, but with a Fox deal potentially, that he will have unlimited possibilities. So maybe he'll introduce Silver Surfer. Who knows? But I think I I am looking forward to Volume Three still, and I hope that he continues the deep cuts of the Marvel universe. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, what a, a huge thing that delights me that we've not touched on is this is jam-packed with Marvel cosmic Easter eggs and references. Like, yes, One of my all-time favorite geek-out moments was seeing the Watchers for the very first time in this movie. Like, I lost my shit, because I did not think, I thought that was pure Fox. I didn't think there was a shared element to that. Now, obviously Fox owns Uatu, you know, the Watcher that we know and see most often in Marvel comics, but it's the idea of the Watchers. Uh, I didn't know that Marvel Studios had any access. So seeing them was just uh, an, a, a huge treat in this movie. And yes, the, 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 te- the, the characters that were more associated with the original Guardians from the comics, Charlie 27, Stakar, Martin X, like all that stuff is, was, was great to see them include here. And, but, you know, and, and that's the stuff that definitely helps elevate kind of the, the fun and rewatchability factor. But I think the first Guardians is an easier rewatch, but 
it, it depends on how you define rewatchable. I will probably right. wa- in in the sense of how many times will you actually rewatch this movie? I may end up wa- rewatching. Well, I've, I've definitely already rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy more, but it had a three year head start. <laughs> but like, yes. you know, I still may end up watching Guardians more often because it is just you know it's a much easier experience to to just run through that movie but in terms of what movie am i actually getting more out of each time i watch it that i didn't already get out of it the first time i the you know the previous times i've watched it it's volume two i always find something when i watch this movie whether it's a line of dialogue or something you know visually there's always something that I latch onto when I see this movie again, that didn't necessarily strike me as much because I was too busy, you know, with my brain occupied on, on something else that it was showing me. And that's, I think that's why I really do enjoy this movie. And, you know, you're not the first person who's told me or that I've heard who watched the movie a second time and, or, you know, a third time or whatever it was where like it, it got better for them. And and obviously I'm not saying it's going to change anybody's mind to go from they, they like the movie to now they maybe only just kind of sort of like the movie to now they're going to love it. And, and I'm not also saying that just because people don't like the movie, it's, it's only because they're comparing it to the first film or anything like that, or that it's not fair to compare things to the first film. I just don't think it's the right thing to do immediately as you watch it. But, um, but whatever, I mean, people are going to have all of their own reasons to uh, maybe not like this movie as much as the first one, or just flat out not like this movie at all. And it's up to them to explain why. I'm not going to psychoanalyze them. I'm not going to last Jedi them. So, like, you know, if people don't like it, <laughs> I get it, and it's cool. Um, I I like it for all the reasons that I've stated in this podcast and, and many, many more. I, I think this is a movie that could age well within the Marvel Cinematic Universe because just because I have known people who've give, who maybe – wrote this movie off after the first viewing, but then went back and watched it and, and liked it. It's kind of like Iron Man 3, as I shared in that show. There are people who I have said, watch that movie again, and then they watch it again, and they end up liking it a lot more. Maybe Volume 2 will be kind of like that. And there is sort of that comparison. There's a lot of people who say Iron Man 3 is a great Shane Black movie, but it's not a great Iron Man movie. And maybe there are some people who feel like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that might be a really great James Gunn movie, but it's not necessarily a great Guardians movie or a great Marvel movie because um, it doesn't necessarily tap into all the things you loved about Marvel movies or specifically that first Guardians film. But again, everybody else can leave it for, you know, can explain for themselves why they may or may not like the movie. I love this one. I think it is a gem. I've got it in that Marvel masterpiece collection that I've been talking about over the course of this Road to Infinity War. I really, really love it, um, and I can't, I, I'm sure I will continue to uh, love it and enjoy watching it, and especially once we get James Gunn's third Guardians film, I think I'll love this piece of the trilogy as much as anything else, and then we'll see if he can, uh, if he can top it with Guardians 3, but you know, I don't really expect or you know, require him to. I just want another great Guardians movie, because I think the first two are both great, in, just in very different ways. Mm. Well said, Sean. (laughs) But uh, for more on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, including how it connects to Avengers Infinity War slash Avengers 4, we will be doing that in our Patreon credit scene. Uh, We are also going to talk about a brand new uh, Avengers Infinity War TV spot that just dropped that Paul probably doesn't even know about yet. (laughs) That I literally got emailed to me by Disney while we were recording this show a few minutes ago. 
Uh, so we're going to talk about that because there's tons of new footage in it. I was watching it on mute <laughs> just to see how much new stuff was in there. But we're going to talk about that and as well as some Avengers Infinity War box office tracking in our Patreon credit scene. And you can sign up to hear all that stuff for just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. There's tons of other content as well, depending on the tiers that you choose and it's exclusive content that you can't hear anywhere else. But then keep up with us. Everywhere, marvelstudiosnews.com. There's articles there every day written by yours truly about the MCU. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News. Make sure you like our page over there, uh, comment on the articles, share them, all that stuff. Please do that as well as this podcast. Share it with your friends, your fellow Marvel fans. We can make more fans of this show and more fans of Marvel. We're just doing our part. And then also follow us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. And you really want to check us out on Twitter because... By the time you're hearing this show, I'm also going to be gearing up for the final four of our Marvel Movie Madness Tournament as we continue to let you guys decide, democratically, what is the best Marvel Studios movie of all time. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time. 